there is one who is the all in all of the Christian, and that is Jesus Christ. This week we continue through Colossians 3, this time beginning to look at who we are in Christ in the new man. We've received a new mind and a new identity. I'm Noah Hooper, and this is the Taught by Grace podcast. Last week we examined how we put off the old man in our life. And this week we begin to see how we can put on the new man and live in who we are in Christ. After this week, we'll see how we are to live in the new man. But this week, we see who we are in the new man, in our mind and in our identity. Let's begin reading in Colossians 3, verses in verse number 9, to give more context. The Bible says, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Here we see the beginning of this passage, the principle that is throughout all of the New Testament of putting off the old man so that you can put on the new man. Putting off and putting on are not separate entities. Rather, they are a unified front to reach the same goal. You must put off the old man to put on. And when you put off the old man, you must put on the new man. Putting off the old man must come first. But the immediate response to putting off and putting to death the sin in our life is to put on the new man. To be clothed in love, joy, peace. You must put off the fruits of the old life of wickedness and ungodliness. You cannot put on righteousness while dwelling in ungodliness. The old garments must be taken off for the new garments to be put on. Additionally, you must put on the new man when you do put off the old man. You may mortify your sin as we looked at last week, but unless you have replaced that area with righteousness and holiness, the sin will return with a vengeance. Hence why God calls us to simultaneously put off and put on. Verses 10 and 11 are a general call to understand who the new man is. But verses 12 through 17 reveal the specific details of what putting on the new man looks like in daily practical living. He shows them what they are to do and then reveals what doing that looks like. God is not vague about who we are in Christ and how we are to live in Christ. He is undeniably specific and pointed when it comes to the lifestyle we are to live. His commands are not shrouded in mystery, but they are revealed in the light. In this chapter, he declares how we are to live. We may beat around the bush about holy and righteous living, but God does not. Being like Christ is not a vague description for the more gifted Christian. Being like Christ is shown through modeling a life after that which God calls us to live in the new man. It is important to remember that though it is God who works in us to will and do of his good pleasure, we still have a responsibility to put on the new man. There are two characteristics that we see in these two verses which are essential for us to understand to fulfill the rest of the passage. If you will live out the passage as it commands us to live, it must come from this right paradigm of who we are in Christ. Now, who is this new man? 
2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 gives a good description of this new man. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The new man is who you are in Christ. You've been made new through his salvation. And you are also becoming new in practice through his sanctifying work. This is who the new man is. This is who we are in Christ. And we are called to live a certain way in Christ due to this fact. However, before Paul addresses the manner in which we are to live, he points out to the Colossians and to us now two foundational characteristics of the new man. The new man has received a new mind and a new identity in Christ. It is from this understanding of who we are in him that we can live out the rest of the passage for the glory of God. Notice this renewed mind in verse number 10. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The word renewed here is a word which Strong's defines to mean to renovate. Our mind is being renovated into the image of him that created us. We are the handiwork of God in which the blueprint is conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ in heart, mind, and deed. Before we will be like him in action, however, our minds must be conformed to him. This knowledge here is not an academic knowledge, but it is divine. It is divine knowledge of who God is instead of mere academic knowledge about God. The new man has been renewed in knowledge of his creator. Contrast this to the lost man's knowledge of God. Ephesians 4 is a great parallel passage to Colossians 3. And in that chapter, God contrasts the lost man's mind towards God to show how the new man is renewed in his knowledge of God. Ephesians 4 and verse 18, the Bible says, Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, the lost man's understanding is darkened. He is completely ignorant of God because his mind is corrupted by sin. He is unaware of God and his deeds and desires. This is the condition of the old man's mind, but not the new man. For in Christ we have been delivered from the darkness of a mind severed from God and have been brought back to God through the saving work of Jesus Christ. We are no longer blinded by the God of this world, but we have been renewed in knowledge of God. However, even though we have a renewed mind, open eyes, and unstopped ears, we must still be daily renewed in our mind. You see, we still live in this fallen body. We have not yet been fully made into the image of Christ. That will come when we are redeemed from, from this world. And because of that, we still deal with the flesh as we see Paul talk about in Romans 7. Because of that, our minds must be renewed. Romans 12 verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians 4 and verse 23 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Our mind has to be renewed, and it is renewed through the word of God. But it is not renewed aimlessly. As always with God, there is an end to which he commands us to live. Furthermore, the end to this means is always the same, and that is to be like Jesus. Notice, after the image of him that created him. 
Our mind is to be renewed after the likeness of our Creator, and we know that this Creator is Jesus Christ, according to Colossians 1 and verse 16 and John 1 verses 1 through 3, just for a couple of references. God saved you and I to be like Jesus, and being like Jesus begins in our minds. For the actions follow where the mind is directed. Hence why you will see the actions of the new man listed in detail over the rest of the chapter after verse 11. For you to put on the new man in actions, you must put on the new man in thoughts. Set your affection on him, not on this world. Our mind is renewed generally through his salvation and must be renewed specifically on a daily basis. Your mind, by the way, your mind must be renewed for you to surrender to this second aspect. And that is a renewed identity. The new man understands who he is and others are in Christ. His judgment is not clouded by natural distinctions found in a society, but he understands that Christ is the all in all of the believer. Verse 11 says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, that is in Christ, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. In Christ, all that normally divides us is irrelevant. He is the preeminent uniting factor for all his people. And Paul isn't speaking about a unity ignorant of doctrine. That's not what he's talking about here. But he is talking about natural, physical differences between people. And Christ unites us amid all of that. We live in a day and hour in which division runs rampant through our society. Furthermore, it often runs rampant in our churches. The reason for this is because too many Christians are finding their identity in who they are in the world instead of who they are in Christ. Sadly, this has always been a problem in in the church through the centuries. Many in the early church sought to bring who they were in the world and make that more important than their identity in Christ. Therefore, in this, Paul addresses specific divisions that the Colossian church were dealing with. Now, these specific differences may not mean very much upon the initial hearing, but as you hear the application, you will see how we still deal with all of these in our day and hour. Notice, first of all, national distinction, Greek nor Jew. There were many who sought to rest in their identity as an elite Greek or religious Jew, but in Christ, these national differences are irrelevant. And also, Greek is more than likely in reference to the Gentiles as a whole. You know, throughout the Bible, the main people group distinction is between Jew and Gentile. But in Christ, that distinction is gone. 1 Corinthians 10.32 says, none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. There are three groups of people in God's eyes, Jew, Gentile, and his church. And in his church, there is no national distinction. For we are one in Christ through his redemptive work. Not only national distinction, but religious distinction, circumcision, nor uncircumcision. Much of what separated the Jews and Gentiles was this matter of circumcision. A man had to be circumcised to become a Jew in the Old Testament. And there were many false teaching Judaizers who infiltrated early churches, proclaiming that circumcision was necessary for salvation. 
They were declaring that unless you were circumcised, you were not really saved. Faith in Christ was necessary, but also circumcision. It was nothing more than another form of works-based salvation. Thus, Paul declared that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters when it comes to faith in Christ. There is only one way in which a man is saved, and it is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things which separated a pagan from a Jew are now irrelevant. For salvation is Christ is not by religious ordinances, but it is through the redemptive work of Christ. And that is why it is irrelevant. The religious standing a man took before Christ. Because in Christ, it is all about Christ and his truth and his word and his life. There's also cultural differences. Barbarian, Scythian. Barbarian, Scythian were names for the uncivilized people of that day and hour. Barbaric savage and uncivilized people. Barbarian is a generalized term and Scythian is used to denote the worst of the worst among that part of civilization. And in this, Paul is declaring that even the worst, most savage people in the world's eyes can be redeemed in Christ. Paul is saying that it does not matter where people come from and the culture they are out of. In Christ, there are no cultural distinctions. For Christ is the redeemer both of the civilized and the uncivilized. There's also societal differences, bond nor free. In Paul's day and hour, there were two types of people. You were either a slave or you were a free man. The slave had his life dedicated to a master and could not go and live and do as he pleased, unlike the free man who could live his life as he pleased. And Paul was declaring that whether a man was bond or free in the world's eyes is irrelevant concerning that he is in Christ. This is so contrary to the ideologies of this world where in our day and hour it may not be about slavery. But we judge people based on job status. We judge people based on all of these things. When Paul is declaring and God is declaring now that these are irrelevant. Our nationality, culture, societal status are no longer the chief identity factors in life but Christ is our identity he is the sole identity of you and I and there are two observations I take from this part first of all God can save anyone the background of a man or woman is irrelevant when it comes to his position before God whether a man is educated or ignorant whether he is rich or poor whether he is pagan or religious, whether he is of this nationality or that nationality. None of these things matter when it comes to his standing before God. For at the end of the day, every man, no matter his background and heritage, is a sinner before God. Additionally, because God is not a respecter of persons, we can also gather that since every man is a sinner before God, he can save anyone. Christ did not die for the wealthy or poor. He did not die for the religious or pagan. He did not die no matter the background, heritage, culture, or status. But Christ died for all men from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Thank the Lord that who you are in this world, whether great or small, does not matter in relation to whether or not he will save a man. fact of the matter is that he came to save sinners from every nation, tribe, and tongue. In addition to this, we see that we are one in Christ. 
since Paul is declaring that there is neither Greek, Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free. We also can take from this. That means that people from every one of these groups had been saved. And because of that, there is no distinction between any of these groups now in Christ. Since he came to save sinners from every nation, tribe, and tongue, those sinners who have been saved are now one in him. But how do we know that this isn't about those differences anymore? Notice the last phrase of the verse. But Christ is all and in all. John MacArthur said it like this, because Jesus Christ is the Savior of all believers, he is equally the all-sufficient Lord of them all. He is all-sufficient for you. Friend, he is all-sufficient for you, and he is all-sufficient for me. This is what Paul is declaring. There is no one to whom Christ is not wholly and completely sufficient. He is all. He is sufficient for me and he is in all. Therefore, he is sufficient for everyone else who is in him. No matter the background, status, or nationality, Christ is in all who are saved by his grace. He is our all in all. He is the supreme uniting factor of all those that are his. Say it like this. He is our identity. Too many of us find our identity in the things of this world instead of Christ. You may find your value in your background, in your status, in your wealth, or lack thereof. But the reality is that at the end of the day, our identity first and foremost comes from who we are in Christ. Let me illustrate it like this. I'm glad to be an American. Now, I know that may be a bit controversial in our day and hour, but I'm glad to be an American. But I will unapologetically say that my chief identity in this life is not that I'm an American. It isn't even that I'm a Baptist. But the chief identifying factor of my life and what must be of your life is Christ. He is our identity and who you are in him triumphs over anything else that you might be in this world. Friend, by renewing our minds in Christ, we can have a right understanding of who we are and who others are in him. So I have this question. Is Christ the all of your life? More specifically, do you live like he is the all of your life? To the new man, Christ is all. This is in great contrast to the old man, to whom self is all. And sadly, I believe we live more like that than as God calls us to live Understanding that Christ is all. He is preeminent. He is deserving of everything in our lives. He must be the all in all. Friend, I want to tell you that you can find in him your joy. You can find in him your life. You can find in him your hope and find in him your everything. He is all and he deserves all of our lives. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. If you're not already subscribed, please consider following along that way on whether Apple, Spotify, Anchor, and anywhere podcasts are broadcast from. I hope you'll join me next Thursday as we begin to explore the lifestyle of the new man. Music.